Good morning, Village Church East. Good morning. <clears throat> I'm Craig Jarvis, lead pastor here at Village Church East. You may be thinking to yourself, what, well, does he not know who he is? Yes, I do. I do. I was just wondering if there's anybody that I didn't know here this morning. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. When I was a teenager, I had a job, my first real job. I worked as a security guard at Canadian Tire. How many people know what Canadian Tire is? What? You don't know what Canadian... Yes, Pat. Pat, what is Canadian Tire? It's like a uh, general store. It is. It's like a, it's like a Canadian Walmart. It is, uh, they sell everything there. You can, you can buy uh, uh, toiletries and, uh, and uh, uh, tumblers in the same aisle. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing place. Anyway, I was a security guard there, and I was in my teens. Keep in mind, was not married at the time, in my teens. And it was a great... What's that? 16. I was 16. Yeah, working at 16. So, uh, so my job at the front was I got a stool just like this one, and I got to sit up front, and my commission as a security guard was if anybody walked out and they got beeped on the way out, uh, because it was, it was brand new when I was 16, these little walls that they would put up in the little uh, magnets, and they would beep, and they would go off, and I'd have to go into the parking lot with this person and convince them without touching them, convince them with no gun or taser, it can be anything like that, convince them to come back in, right? So this is where I develop my skills of persuasion. So, uh, so can you can imagine if you're stealing something, you get stopped in the parking lot and somebody tells you to come back in, you're gonna go, no, I'm not coming back in. My job was to convince you to come back in. So that was my commission. Now I could do other things when I was at the job. I, could, I was supposed to straighten shelves or talk to customers and answer their questions or flirt with the girls at the uh, front that were checking people out. You know, I could do any of those things. <laughs> Keep in mind, I was not married when I was 16, all right? But my commission, my job was to convince everybody when they went out, if they got beeped, to come back in. And so I came up with some pretty amazing things, like there must be something wrong with our little beeper. It just beeped, and I'm sure it's not you. I'm sure it's us. Would you come in and help us figure out what's wrong with this? And, and people would come back in, and they would go, oh, maybe it's this, and they'd pull something out of their clothing. I had one kid. I had one kid. He had fish hooks in his underwear. <laughs> so, so I was going, yeah, that might be it. That's true. causing it to beep. So... It was, it was a great job. I, I loved doing the job, uh, but my goal was, no matter what I was doing, if I was straightening the shells or whatever I was doing, those were things that I was expected to do, but my commission as a security guard was bring people back in if they were stealing something. That was my main responsibility. Now, do you know as a church that we have a co-mission? Do you know that? You can find it if you look in the Bible in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16. We call it the great commission. And here's what it is in Matthew 28 verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. This is after Jesus has died. He's risen from the grave and he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven. He's going to give them a commission. Now while I'm gone, you are disciples. Here's your commission. Now you can do other things. You can get married. You can have jobs. You can have raise children, you do all these other things, but here's what I want you to do. This is your co-mission, all right? And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, interesting. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, this is after his resurrection, so we understand that to mean that with this statement, Jesus has pretty much uh, already said, it is finished. It doesn't mean his life was over. It is finished means was the job of redemption is done. And when he says, all authority has been given to me, he's saying, I have proven myself to be all that I claim to be. I am God incarnate. And so the Father has given the Son all authority. This is, by the way, this whole sidebar here, this is, by the way, why you don't go to church where they don't worship Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has all authority. And so Jesus is not just a prophet. He's not just a good teacher. He is Lord and Savior. He is the one we exalt and worship, Jesus because he has all authority. So he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, here's your commission, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that who has commanded, all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our commission as a church. Now, this mission is generalized. 
And the question we ask is, okay, why am I in God's church? Well, you are called out of the chaos of this world and into the <laughs> chaos of the church. <laughs> you are called out of the chaos of the world and into the family of God, the church, so that you can be loved on and you can show love. The church is a solution to the residue of the fall. Think of this now. This is very interesting because Jesus is establishing this brand new thing. He's never been around before, this church. He is the cornerstone, which means that the church is built on him. The church did not exist in the Old Testament. The church is a brand new concept. And so Jesus is building this church made up of people of which we are a part. And we are given a commission by Jesus as a part of his church. Before we get to explore the commission, let's talk about what it means to be the church. The church is God's solution to the problem of the fall. Think about all of the things the church fixed that the fall brought. We just finished our study in Genesis chapter 10. Uh, we just studied you know, Genesis 10 and 1, 1, to, 1 to 11, basically. And do you remember what happened? Uh, what's the last story that we cover, covered together? They built a city, and in the middle of the city, they built a, a tower, right? They built a tower, and the tower of the ziggurat, that's right. And the ziggurat was called Babel, that's right. Ziggurat was called Babel. They built this tower to the heavens to make a name for themselves. You remember all of this. And God did something at Babel to make them scatter because they were disobeying God by not scattering. They were supposed to fill the earth. They decided that they were going to conglomerate together. And so Jesus, uh, God, God gave them these languages, and these languages caused them to disperse. You can't talk to somebody that doesn't speak your language, right? It gets very frustrating. You ever had to do that? You ever been in a country or, or maybe downtown Chicago and you've had to try to have a conversation with somebody and they can't understand you? It just gets so frustrating. So what do you do? You talk louder. Hopefully they'll understand you if you talk louder, right? It's so frustrating because the language barrier, which is why we call it a barrier, prevents you from talking, from understanding one another. You can talk all you want, but you can't understand one another. Now... You go to the end of the book, the end of the Bible. That happened way at the beginning, but if you go to the end of the book, in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, as you're getting to the end of the Bible, something happened that fixed the language barrier. What was it? Pentecost. Pentecost fixed the language barrier. In Acts chapter 2, you have these people from all different backgrounds, from all different languages, and they're all coming together. And all of a sudden, they can't understand one another, but they're all around. Peter's delivering a message. Nobody understands him. There's barrier, barrier, barrier. There's all kinds of language in this one place, and people are confused, and they don't know what's going on. All of a sudden, boom, something happens, and everybody can all of a sudden understand each other. We call that speaking in tongues. And it happened first at Pentecost, and it was a miracle of God to fix the problem of the fall. The fall, our sin, brought separation, language barriers. It's residue of the fall. God brings us to Pentecost, and he says, in the church, the language barrier is fixed. Now, we don't need to speak in tongues these days because the church exists around the world in all different languages. But in the first, when it first started at Pentecost, this miraculous thing happened where they spoke in different languages. And they were able to understand each other. Also, it's also interesting that it doesn't necessarily say, in, you can study this, it's very interesting. It doesn't say that there's a language they spoke that everybody understood. It said that whatever language was spoken, everybody understood it in their own language. So what language do we speak in heaven? I have no idea. But this I know. We're all going to be able to understand each other. Maybe I'll be speaking English and all of a sudden you understand English. Or I'll be speaking French and all of a sudden you'll be able to understand French or Hebrew or Spanish or something like that. The church fixes all of the residue that the, the, the fall brings. Sin, what, did it, what happened? It brought anger and blame. Do you remember what happened as soon, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned? They got mad at each other and they started blaming one another. Do you remember that? But the church is founded on not anger and blame. The church is founded on love. John 13, 35. By this, all people, Jesus says, will know that you are my disciples if you have what, church? 
The church fixes. In the church is where the love of God is supposed to be seen first. Did you know in the first church, they greeted one another with a holy kiss? Oh, you knew that, with a holy kiss. Actually, it doesn't end there. If you read about it in 1 Peter 5.14, it's a holy kiss of love. Isn't that interesting? So on my way out, please do not give me a holy kiss of love. (laughs) But the emphasis there is still the same, that in the church, love overcomes a multitude of sins. Sin brought individuality, isolation. The church brings unity. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we have one spirit. We are baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slave or free. And we are all made to drink of one spirit. Unity, not isolation in the church. Sin caused people to look out for themselves first. Remember Cain? Cain said, I'm not my brother's keeper, am I? Sin brought that thought into his mind. But in the church, are you your brother's keeper? Yes, you are. You are responsible for the welfare of your brother or your sister. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. But in the world, as a residue of sin, that does not come as a natural thought. Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, church, look at this. Let us do good to everyone. And what's the next word? Especially. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Where's the household of faith? You're sitting among them. Sin causes us to operate on our own strength, independently from God. The church unifies us together, so we use our gifts together. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The church shares one Spirit, one faith, one baptism, one family, and one hope. In the Old Testament, God is called Father. And in the church, we call God Father. When Jesus said, when you want to pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. We are to be seen in the church as a family. We are grafted into the vine, the vine of those who belong to this Father since the beginning of human history. There's a family analogy all the way through scripture. That's why we refer to one another as brothers and sisters. By the way, did you know we refer to Jesus as our brother as well? He's our brother in Christ. God is our Father, and we are family. The church nullifies all the effects of sin. It's supposed to. The church is God's hope for the world. This is to be the place where you see the nullifying effects of God over and over again over the human fall that we see, the residue of it that we see around us every single day. Why would we do a series on the healthy church? Well, unhealthy churches hurt people big time. Unhealthy churches make coming to Christ hard. Unhealthy churches move to slow down the gospel mission. Unhealthy churches have a hard time working together, but healthy churches heal. Healthy churches make it easier for people to come to Christ. Healthy churches accelerate Jesus' mission on the earth. God's hope is seen for this world in the mission of his church. We are God's family. We are meant to be God's hope for this fallen world. Now, one of the reasons we have a hard time with understanding what a church really is is because we constantly refer to it in the wrong way. And here's, I'll just point this out, all right? I read a newspaper article not that long ago when we lived in Madison, and in the town right next to us, a building burned down. And it was one of the oldest buildings in the town. It was a church building in the town. And so the headline to the newspaper said, Church Burns to the Ground. Now, technically, that is a horrifying headline because the church is not a building. The church is people. And so if church is people and you read a headline that says, an entire church burns to the ground, what it really says is all these people burned up, right? We constantly refer to churches in the wrong way. Uh, This building, this building is a gymnasium, it's a community center, right? At 12.30, the church leaves this building. It is no longer a church. But we have a tendency to look at buildings and call those buildings church when really the emphasis of of church is on people. The word church in scripture is actually ecclesia. 
Ecclesia is not found in the Old Testament, by the way, because it's a New Testament concept. It is built on Jesus Christ. Jesus builds his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When Jesus builds his ecclesia, of which he is the cornerstone, he builds people. People are ecclesia. And if you look the word up, ecclesia in the Greek, do you know what the word means? Called out. Call, koinonia. Called out. Koinonia is what the church does. But ecclesia means called out. Ecclesia means called out ones. We are called out. Now, let me ask you just a very simple question. Where are we called out of? Are we called out of the sidewalk? Are we called out of our homes? Are we called, are we called out of our cars to gather in a building? Where are we called out of? The world. We are called out of the world. Now, let that just sit for a second. Because if we really understand what the church is, we are the called out ones. That means that we are in the world, but we are called out of... How can you be in the world, but out of the world? How is that, so, how is that even possible? We are people who don't think like the world. We don't act like the world. We don't have the same value systems as the world. When you turn on the news and hear people bickering about all these things, we just go, why are you bickering about all these things? Why? Because we have different values, we have different emphasis, we have different loves, we have different desires, we have different hopes. We are called out of the world because we are meant to be different. That is why Jesus said, if you belong to the church, you are salt and light. Why are you salt and light? Because salt changes the flavor of things. And light shuts out the dark. We are salt and light. Why? Because we are called out of the world, but we are still in the world. So guess what? You are going to look different. If you feel like you look, like you look different than people around you and you're thinking to yourself, I don't want to look different, let me tell you, you're on a good track, all right? You are meant to look different. That is what ecclesia means. You've been called out of this group of people to look different, to act different, not by the stuff you wear. I'm, we're beyond that. But by the way the thing, we think, the stuff we love, the things that are important to us. We look different than the world around us. You want to know where this is most obvious? Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. Facebook is from the devil. <laughs> now that's on the recording. I'll have to, I'll have to live with that. You watch how people who are not ecclesia, who are not called out ones, what they dwell on, what they talk about, what infiltrates their lives, what they can't get out of their heads. You watch the way that they, that they speak. You watch the way that they... The, the lemmings that follow whatever the news says is important today. But the ecclesia, the church people, the ones who belong to the family of God, don't think the same. They don't act the same. They don't tweet the same. <laughs> they are different from the world around them. That's all wrapped up in this word, ecclesia. The church is hope. This is where God's presence can be experienced. Ephesians 2.22 says, In him you also, you being a plural word. This is like the you all, all right? This is not like, hey, uh, Tony, what are you doing after church? That's not this. This is like, hey, what are you guys doing after church, right? Talk about after our church meeting here, right? This is the idea. In him you also, plural, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let that sink in for a second. This is talking to the church. You are being built into something where God loves to dwell. Blows your mind. That's why when we have a church service and we worship the Lord and we spend our time here together on, on Sunday mornings, that's why this is such a special time because we are building something where God's presence is not just welcome, but it's needed. It's where we... we, we um, Shannon prayed this morning. She said, we welcome you here, Lord. And, and I love that verbiage because the church is where God is, is welcome the most in a fallen world. There's lots of places where he is not welcome. There's lots of places where people don't want him around. There's probably a lot of times in your life that you just kind of hope God's not watching, right? 
But in the church, when we gather on Sunday morning, we don't just welcome him. We need him to be here. This is where our hope is experienced. The the kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of this world. Paul the Apostle looked at the kingdom of Rome. Rome tore families apart. It segregated the rich from the poor. It separated the free from the slave. It distinguished highly between women and men. There are certain people that are high up, and there are certain people that are low, and there are certain people that are neglected, and there are certain people that are are, uh, accepted and and, uh, that are given stuff. And the haves and the have-nots. But the kingdom of God frees us from all of that. In the kingdom of God, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male, there's no female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that you are no longer a slave. You might have to go home and be a slave. It doesn't mean that you're no longer female. You're, you're still a female or, or male. What it means is that in this place, we're all on equal ground. We are all one in Jesus Christ. And that's where we find our hope. Number three, the church is God's family. The emphasis is constantly on the relationship of family. By the way, this is why Jesus says born again so often. Did you know that? Uh, How many people in this room have been born? Been born? All right. If you don't have your hand up, we'll we'll talk afterwards. (laughs) You, You need to have a little conversation about this. The question is not, have you been born? Everybody's been born. If you belong to the family of God, you need to be born again. You've been born physically by water and blood. Every one of us have, but you need to be born by water, blood, and the spirit. And until that happens, you don't become a part of the family of God. That's why Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, you've been born again. You have the spirit of God who lives in you, and that makes you family. Family is the emphasis of the church. Family is the emphasis because God is our father. Now, where this gets difficult is we're so used to hearing God loves me. God has a plan for me. God has a plan for you. Single, 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 single. But there is more emphasis in the New Testament on the church than there is on individuals. Did you know that? Impurity is dealt with in the church. Dissension is dealt with as a church. Your service is meant to be to the church first. Accusations against a brother are dealt with in the church. When you want to sue somebody, you're supposed to go to the church first. All of our lives are wrapped up in this setting. This church is family. And so like I would when I, when I call home and I would talk to my mom or my dad and I would say, listen, I just need a little bit of advice here. Our church becomes our family. This is where we have brothers and sisters, where we, have, where we are transparent, when we go to it for advice, where we go to for love and hope and help. When the church, when we start taking the emphasis off of ourselves and looking at the church, we have a much more healthy view of the world around us. But when we begin to think that the, that the individual is more important than the church, guess what we do when we're in the church? We believe that the church should center around me. Yeah. I didn't get anything out of that message. Well, that, that could largely be my fault. Or it could be that you came to church for the wrong reason. I didn't like the, the singing today. Yeah, that could be because Shannon wasn't on the, on the ball today. <laughs> or the rest of the band let her down. Or it could be that you forgot who you were here to worship today. Well, I didn't like the food that they served today. I, I hope it doesn't get that detailed in your complaints when you go home. You see, the problem is we begin to look at church as a place where we get Church is a place where we give. Church is not a place where I go to get from my brothers and sisters. Church is a place where I go to give to them. So if you go to the youth group and there's like three people there, your mindset needs to change. You need to go thinking to yourself, I'm going to go to youth group to see what I can give to the other two people that are there. Oh, man. Can you imagine if we started thinking that way about church in general? I wonder how attractive we would be. 
Church is a place not where we soak, it's where we come so that we can give out. Number four, the church is God's representation, his best representation on the earth. This is where we see God's image best. We are God's picture to the world of what God's family is. This is why it's so bad to have dysfunctional churches because people look at this dysfunctional church and they say, I don't want to be a part of the family of God. (laughs) Now that is the general sense of church. When you accept Christ as your Savior, you become a part of the church, the church universal that exists around the world, throughout space, throughout time, all right? You can go to church in Russia. You can go to church in Canada. You can go to church in South America. You can go to church wherever you want to go to church. You will find brothers and sisters who believe in Jesus Christ all around the world, and you're part of the family of God. When we take communion here, you are welcome to take communion with us, even though you're from another church. If you know God as your, Jesus as your Savior and God as your Father, then you're welcome to take communion with us because you're part of the universal church. But it's very interesting that you cannot be a healthy part of a universal church until you are a healthy part of a healthy part of a local church. This is where God takes the job description that we have and he puts it into a context where we can start applying it. Every local church has the same big job description, but every local church has a different way in the way that they apply that job description. The commission. Jesus says to go make make disciples of all nations. That's our global commission. But we get, with, we get involved with a neighborhood church, a congregation locally, to do that individually. We have a hard time sharing with others and loving one another and growing together and exhorting each other and gathering together and worshiping together when we're not together. It doesn't make sense. So people who say that I'm a part of the universal church, I just don't like the local church, constantly amaze me. Because the first thing I say to them is, where are you using your gifts? And they say, well, you know, I help my neighbor, baloney. (laughs) Show me, show me. You need to be a part of a local church so that you can start doing things together without being in a context locally where you can be together and start serving together and working together and praying together and worshiping together. There's no togetherness going on. Here's a little chart that I prepared for you. What do I have to do to be a part of God's church globally versus locally? Well, you're excluded, you're, you're unregenerate, you haven't believed in Jesus Christ, that's where we all start. That's when we are born, but we don't have the Spirit of God. Then we become energized, that's when we become justified, we make a decision to believe in Jesus Christ, Spirit of God fills us, we become a part of the global church. That's our entrance into the universal church of God. We are baptized by the Holy Spirit, right? This is where we have received the Spirit, we are born again. You automatically have entrance into the global universal church church. However, there needs to come a time where your worship, where your identity is expressed. And that can only be done in a local church. That's where we baptize. We, we physically baptize you with water in a local church because this is where your gifts are going to be used. Now, you don't have to be baptized in every single local church that you join, but that's why baptism is done in a local church because that's where your faith is expressed in front of a group of people. You're only physically baptized once, but you might need to change churches for a variety of reasons over a lifetime, whether you move or the Lord directs you somewhere to go to a different place. You won't experience the five ingredients of a church unless you're in a local church. Here's five ingredients. Number one, ordinances. You must be a part of God's local church to be involved in ordinances. That's baptism and communion. Structure. In a local church, there's structures. In a local church, who's your elder? Who's keeping oversight of you? Elders are shepherds. Who's watching and caring for you? In Scripture, local churches are given elders, deacons, and member roles. Worship is the third. You gather regularly for worship and the word. The gospel is constantly, number four, reiterated and highlighted on a regular basis. And mission, this is what we're talking about this morning, What is your mission as an individual who's been saved by God? Well, your mission is largely a part of what you buy into when you join a local church. 
you join and express your faith through that mission of that local church. Local expressions of worship contextualize the Great Commission so that we can put that Great Commission to work in time and in space. Jesus says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually you are members of it. Where's the body of Christ? Right here. Individuals make up the body of Christ. And you will function best in a local church because that's God's plan for you. Now, again, people might be saying, well, I don't see the value of a local church. Well, all you need to do is look to Scripture. Jesus valued the church so much, he died for it. Jesus is going to present the church before the Father someday. It's called his bride. Most of the New Testament books are written to churches, groups of individuals gathered together in local assemblies. God identifies attributes at church so that we can have oversight over us as we play out our part in the church. Care and love exists in a local church. And the bottom line is, you're going to have a hard time expressing love for God if you don't have a family in which you can express love on a regular basis. Village Church East is one local expression of faith in Jesus Christ. There are other local churches in our area, in Carroll Stream even. Our identity is not found in isolation. It's found in the corporate expression of family. That's why in Hebrews 10.25 it says, it warns us to not neglect meeting together as the habit of some is, but to encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now you might say, well, Craig, I don't really like church. Or I know people in my family that oh, don't, I, I'm, I'm in church, I'm in this church, and I'm a big part of it, but I know people that don't really like church. Really difficult relationship, wouldn't it? Think about it, if you wanted to marry a girl who already had three children, and you really, really disliked the kids, and you went so far as to say, yeah, I want to marry you, but I'd rather not be around your kids a whole lot, how would that relationship go? <laughs> would the woman say, oh, that's fine. I totally understand. I don't like them either. Yeah, let's get together. Or would the woman say, you know what? I love my kids. You can take a long walk, right? The latter, right? Can you imagine somebody that would say to Jesus who loves his church, who died for his church, who can't wait to present his church to the Father by saying to him, hey, Jesus, I love you. I just don't like your kids. It's the same deal. So to say that, you know, well, Craig, there, you don't, there's all kinds of wacky people in church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there are. There's a whole lot of people that are really needy in church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are. And guess what? When you join, you only add more wackiness and neediness to them. All day by grace. And if you don't think you're wacky or needy, then you're more wacky and needy than you think you are. When you join the church, you join a group of people that are just like you, have been saved by grace just like you. And your goal is not to get more out of those people. Your job is to invest more into those people. Because we love the same Father. And we have the same brother, Jesus. And we are on the same mission. Our mission at Village Church East is to go, grow, and overcome. Now, that comes from the Great Commission. I want to take a minute to, the, to, sh to share that with you. Back to the verse we started with, Matthew 28, 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's what the church does teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Go means no staying. What does it mean when you go from a place? It means you depart. It means you're not there any longer. Go means no staying. Everybody is involved in going. Growing means making disciples, teaching them to obey what Jesus commands, and overcoming is an interesting one. I'm going to hang on to that one to the end. Go. Make disciples. Baptize and teach. Nobody gets to stay behind. We grow our ranks. 
We pray that God grows our ranks. We love each other through the battles. We are strengthened by love. And by the way, love covers a multitude of sins because love is seen best in the church. It doesn't mean that we cover up sin. It means that we give a lot of grace to people who hurt us. When you meet at VCE, just remember none of us have arrived yet. I am going to say things that will offend you. And guess what? You are going to say things that will offend me and the people next to you and the people behind you. Why? Because you are a sinner, hopefully saved by grace, constantly trying to surrender to Jesus Christ. Our family is always looking for new family members, and so we are all involved in the going bit. Grow. The end mission is to spread the glory of God. The only way that can happen is for others to serve the Lord with their lives, their livelihoods, and their families. That's why the Jarvis family does ministry together. Because if I'm going to grow as an individual, I know I have to be serving. And if I'm going to get my kids to grow as individuals, they have to be serving too. Jesus said in John 8, 31, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How many have ever heard that phrase, the truth will set you free? It's a real popular phrase, right? This is the context. What truth is Jesus talking about here? The Bible. So if you've ever heard somebody say the truth will set you free, in context, where that came from, they are agreeing with Jesus, the more you know the Bible, the better off your life is going to be. I bet you people would say it a lot less if they knew that's what it really meant, right? Creating disciples is helping people to understand what God says is expected from them as disciples of Jesus Christ. This is where we grow, where we help other people understand what God expects from their life. And then finally, overcome. Now, overcome is an interesting one, and it comes from this phrase. You wouldn't normally guess this, would you? And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. How does that involve overcoming? Good question. What, is it, what good does it know to, to know that Jesus says, I am with you always? How does this give us the ability to overcome? It's one thing to have a mission, but it's a totally different thing to know that the commander of the mission is right there with you. Think of it this way. If I looked at you and I said, okay, go attack Mordor. Get all of your, get all your gear together. You're going to go pretty much by yourself. You might have a couple other, uh, what are they called? No, Mordor. What are they called? Not dwarfs, but hobbits. hobbits yeah, you can take a couple other hobbits with you. Did you say hobbits? Somebody said hobbits. That's, I'm impressed. Uh, you can take a couple other hobbits with you, but what I want you to do is go take Mordor. And when you finally conquer Mordor, scare be like fire and it's going to be terrible. And when that happens, just keep on going. All right? You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Just keep on going. And when you finish the job, I'm going to meet you at the end. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be with you at the end. When the sun rises, you got to finish in the morning. When the sun rises, I'll meet you there, all right? Would you feel good about that? Versus how would you like for your commander to say, you know what, here's what I want from you. Take Mordor. Take some people with you. And you know what? I'm going to go with you too. I'm going to do the battle with you. I'll be with you every step of the way. I'm going to be right by your side. I am the most powerful being in the universe. There's none more powerful than me, and I am on your team. We're going to get through this together, and when we get to the other side, we're going to rejoice big time. It's going to be our party time. And we're going to win because I don't lose stuff, all right? Are you ready to go? How would you feel better? How would you feel about that? A lot better? Yeah. Jesus says, and behold, I am with you how many times? He will never leave us, and he will never forsake us. That is why overcome comes from that phrase, with his power, you can do anything. If God is for us, who can be against us? So what? Well, the so what is this. If you are a Christian, you have a mission, a great co-mission. 
The co-mission means that we're all in it together. We are co-operating in this co-mission. You have a mission as a church. I have a mission as a church. It's our co-mission together. Go and make disciples. Grow. Teach them to observe all that God has commanded them. Overcome. Win. Because you are constantly aware that God's presence is with you always. Well, Craig, I hear all that, but I have to tell you, I don't think I'm strong enough. I just, I don't think, I, I know Jesus is with me and he's strong, uh, but I don't have the kind of gifts you do. I don't have the kind of income to give to the church. I don't have the kind of, of ability to serve that others do. I, I just don't have the heart for it, to tell you the truth. And, and it, it, it takes a lot to admit that, but that's just where I am. And maybe that's you. I, I just don't have the faith at this point. I'm not strong enough to be that kind of person that would pick up the ball with the rest of you guys and and carry out the co-mission of Jesus' church on a local level. Let me encourage you by reading to you one more time from Matthew 28, just the beginning of the commission. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Would you read the next four words, please? Next three words. But some doubted. How in the world could you doubt Jesus when you saw him die and you see him alive? Could you explain that to me? Because I wouldn't doubt. Would you? Thomas doubted. He must have been an idiot. There's some people here, they doubted. They just didn't have the kind of faith, right? Good grief, this guy died. You saw him die. You saw what the Romans did. Beat him to a pulp, crucified him, stuck him in the grave three days, and now he's walking around eating fish with you, right? And I'm still going to doubt? The Great Commission, was it given to people that were strong? Yeah. Was it given to disciples that would give their lives for Jesus? Yeah. Was it given to people that worshipped and believed and, and, and they really believed in Jesus with all of their hearts? Yeah. Was it given to people that had very little faith? Yeah. Even some who doubted. Everyone is meant to put their hands to the good work. And the Great Commission is a big job, and it's meant for all of us to be a part of. This is the local assembly. This is where we get together and we put our hands together to do the commission that God has given to us. Um, I'm going to skip the next slide and go right to this last part. I really want to include this last part. Contextually, the emphasis of of Village Church East is still being developed, right? We, we've only been alive for a year and a half, basically. We've only been a church officially for a year and a half. And so we're kind of start, we're, we're starting now to kind of figure out our DNA. Village Church of Bartlett has been around for a little while longer. They're, they're the ones that launched us. And so they actually, it's not until the last couple of years that they started figuring out their DNA a little bit. Uh, they've learned that they're a healing church. They're a church where they appreciate and value and emphasize family. They have a lot of children in the church. They've got 300 and some kids coming to VBS this week, for goodness sakes. So, so they've kind of developed their DNA over time. It's kind of formed around them. And they haven't really said, nobody sat down and said, okay, what kind of a church are we going to be? God kind of made them and molded them into who he needs them to be at that point of time. And so my question to you is simply this, and this is why I need some feedback from you, so I'm kind of glad we're a little, we're a little smaller in our congregation today because I, I want you to feel free to speak out. I would like for, to hear from you what you think our DNA looks like now. What is God forming our local church into? What is our emphasis? What has he blessed? What doors has he opened? What doors... What activities has he blessed? What heart has he given us together that we get excited about? What's one thing that, we, that we've done or we want to do that's, that makes us excited to do or want to do um, together? We, we did the one concert that went extremely well. Uh, we did the parade. That, that was a lot of fun. It sent somebody to the hospital even. That was exciting. Um, we did the Good Friday service and filled the church up with people from different churches. And so God is developing us 
and developing our hearts. And there is something that this church is going to be known for. In the New Testament, there were churches that were known. The church at Macedonia was known as a generous giving church. This is the church that Paul bragged about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when he talks about giving, giving with a cheerful heart. He says, like Macedonia, Antioch was known as a sending church. They got people in there all the time. They were going, okay, you go over there, you get a missionary over here, you're a missionary over here, and they're constantly sending people. They sent out Paul and Silas. They are the sending church. The, the church at Jerusalem, they were the leadership developing church. If you had a problem, you wanted to figure out how to deal with this or that doctrinal issue, you went to the church at Jerusalem. You said, listen, we need to figure this out. What is Village Church East becoming known for? What do you think? What do we do that's getting blessed or that's identifying us as a church? What do you think? Okay. Okay, so togetherness, we, we like doing things as a group. And we're coming over adversity with our side. Yeah. Where, yeah. You know, we overcome adversity, set up, tear down. I, I'm only saying it, I'm, I'm listening to you, but I'm only saying it because I wanted to get on here as well. Um, yeah, adversity, even in individual lives, we gather together, I think, around, around our family members that are hurting. Family, um, you know, the, the one event. Yep. Coming together with other one event, pulling churches together. Yep, 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 yep. Good. Or a serving church. Serving church. Okay. Faithfully serving. Yep, okay, faithfully serving. What do you think? Yep, yep, yep. So it's because we don't have a building, I think that that has blessed us beyond what we can even imagine. Interesting. So we're able to do more in the community because we don't have a building. We have a public pool where we had a public baptism. I've never done that before. That's my only time to do that. Um, We have, uh, what was the other thing you mentioned? Oh, they open on Easter for us, yes, because they like us as a church being a part of their community center here. So that shows then too, people, because everybody has a misconception or their own idea of what church is. Yeah. And so I think we take good care and we are respectful to the building and they see that and then they're like, so, so when the Lord says, I give you a little, then we'll grow in more. Like then I'll give you more. So we have proven that we are good here and that we take care. Okay. So now they're like, oh, yeah, you can have me. All right. Yeah, you can so the community is appreciating us right. because it seems like we're appreciating yeah. them. Okay, good. I think it's just love. We're love. So Jesus says they'll know you by your love, by the way that you love one another. So we're, we're loving one another in here, and now it's beginning to be obvious in the community around us. Okay, good? Yeah. We're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. People that don't know about him, and we're planting seeds. All right. Mustard seeds goes a long way. Okay. How are we spreading the gospel? All those who want to walk through those doors, okay. whether they want to hear about We have a God, presence we have a presence in a public place um, so that the presence of God is, we're redeeming this area. So we're spreading seeds of the gospel, even when we're not technically saying things to people out there that are coming in to work out, our presence here is speaking somewhat that the gospel is available here in this place. I think when we did the baptisms, we got a lot Baptism, of yeah, for sure, yeah. People that really that's right, yeah, that little girl in the booth, that's right. Changed her life, who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm just asking to come and see your 
community as well, like the water bank itself was us going into the community. Yeah. And that's, we're doing both uh, parts of this mission at, uh, with the new church. Okay, so we're not saying come and see, we're saying we're going to go and tell. Right. Yeah. Good. Uh, Bo. Yeah. One way or the other, yeah. 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 We like to serve one another. Yeah. yeah, we do that on a regular basis. 85% of our church is serving on a weekly basis. And I think that's way above. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like total. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an 80-20 principle, 20% do 80% of the work, or the other way around, yeah. No. All right, yes? I was just going to say that I think we're a relational church. Okay. Like both our relationships with Fountainview, which we've already talked about, but just the times that we have been intentional about cooperating with other local churches, like those are the events that have been blessed. Yes. The most, the one service, the Good Friday service. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, fellowship. fellowship, yeah, yeah. And that, like, those partnerships, I think. So, even that is yes, so I'm not cutting you off. I just want to make sure I get all this because I'm going to listen to this myself later and make some notes. We're a relational church uh, because we, not just because we have relationships with one another in here, but because we're reaching out to have relationships with local churches around us, and we love that. Uh, going behind fellowship in the parade, they're handing out our flyers, you know, with their, their own stuff attached to it, yeah. Um, and we're starting to get to know them and the ministries that they do, yeah. Good, okay. Did I leave out anything? Okay, good. I think that's important uh, to, uh, for our stigma in the church is that um, we're not in competition with each other. We're actually part of the body. Yeah, for the first, yeah. Um, yeah, we're not in competition. For the first time in my life, I, I'm not having conversations where it's like, uh, you know, you, you shouldn't do that in the church auditorium. We're going to wreck the carpet. <laughs> and, you know, we don't have those conversations, right? Um, we, uh, it's because we're just not attached uh, to a facility. Um, now we want to be, and somebody said, we're, we're good in this facility. We want to make sure that we take care of it because it's, it's, um, uh, we're good. we want to be good stewards. But at the same time, our attachment isn't to a facility. Our attachment seems to be more toward relationships. Um, relationships in here and relationships out there. So I appreciate all your input. You might have more, and if you want to give more, uh, then that would be good. I just, I had my own thoughts, and I wanted to see if they might match up to yours, and a lot of them, a lot of them do. But um, mission, our mission as a church needs to be measured in goals. So if our mission is relationships, then we need to have goals to have stronger relationships. Make sense? And it's not just a goal to have a stronger, oh, I hope I have a strong relationship by March. Uh, it has to be something more than that. And so I want to introduce this to you because I really think relationships is a big part of it and somewhat it was peppered in all of our answers, this relationship issue. And so I want to introduce this to you. And one of my goals by the end of this year is that half of this church would be involved in this mission as a part of our co-mission as, uh, that we've been given under God. And that is, who's your one? Now, you've heard me talk about this before. Who's your one is really, it's almost so simple, it's ridiculous that I'm even suggesting it. Who's your one is something that I want to start doing right away. Um, I'll give you more information on it as we go. I'll refer to it more, but I want to give you the groundwork for it right now. I've been doing Who's Your One uh, for a little while now with two separate people. Uh, they have been doing Who's Your One with a couple different people. Um, and what I would like to do is I would like to have our entire church, my goal is that half of the church be doing Who's Your One by December. And so I'm going to just tell all of you and ask that the Holy Spirit lays this on your heart. This is the big so what of the day. Would you consider doing this? Who's Your One can be done by kids, can be done by adults. But on any age uh, that, that you are. Who's your one takes no training. <laughs> it's so easy, it's ridiculous. Who's your one is you meet with one other person once a week. You meet with them for coffee, you meet with them for tea, whatever your favorite thing is. You meet with them just to spend some time with them. You have no agenda. It can be somebody in the church, it can be a circle because 
God puts people in your circles, and he doesn't do it just so that you can, you know, waste time. He does it on purpose. There's somebody in your circle that needs you, needs your time. When I was a youth pastor, other youth pastors would look at me and they would say, how do I win my kid? And how do I get my kid to, to, to buy into the gospel? I said, whoever spends the most time with your kid wins. Time is such a valuable asset in our world today. Who's your one is all about time. Get with somebody and give them a half hour. Give them 45 minutes, give them an hour, whatever it is. Sit down with them. What I do is I go to Starbucks because I love Starbucks. And, uh, and I sit there and we just shoot the bull. We just talk about stuff. About how's your job? How's your, how, how's your relationship with your kids? How's your, how's your relationship at school? How's your grades? Just how's life in general? You don't have to be an exceptional talker. You don't have to be a security guard who prides himself in talking people in after they put stuffed fish hooks down their underwear. You don't have to be that kind of a persuasive person. You just have to sit down with somebody and say, I'm giving you some time because I want you to know you're important to me. And you sit there and you just talk to them. And then you do it the next week. And you do it the next week. And you do it the next week. If it's not on your calendar, you're not going to do it. Put it on your calendar, be faithful to it, make sure the other person is faithful to it, and you just meet together. And what's going to happen is, over a matter of time, your conversations will turn more from, how's the weather today, and they'll turn into something more than that, because the person you're with is going to start thinking, this person must really be interested in me. Whether, the, or whether or not they know the, who, the whole who's your one scope of things, they are just going to be impressed that you would want to spend time with them. And you sit with them and you let them talk about whatever. And then you pray to God that he will give you the right words that you need to say when you talk to them. And over time, those conversations will begin to change. And they'll begin to change into, I just had a fight with my wife last night. And here's what it was about. And you're going to all of a sudden have one opportunity to speak the gospel into somebody's life. You might need to look at that person and say, well, she acted like that because you're an idiot. You, you, you said a really bad, bad combination of words and you need to go make that right. They will not listen to you unless you have the permission to speak into their lives like that. And the only way you will get permission to speak into their lives like that is if they know you actually care about them. And the way that you show you care about them is that the Lord lays them on your heart and you think to yourself, you go home and you pray and you say, God, who's my one? Who's my one? And God will say, Jimmy. Sorry. Uh, uh, Jimmy. He's, he's going to be your one. And so you, so you call up Jimmy. You say, Jimmy, you want to do coffee this week? And then you meet him, and you do coffee, and he'll say, what do you want to talk about? Nothing really. I just want to see how you're doing. Can I, can I pray for you for anything? You know, you started this new job. Tell me about it. Just let me know how it's going. How, how's school? I know your grades have been bad. Uh, are, you, are you doing better? Can I, you know, just tell me about that. That probably stinks. Is it going better for you? You're, you're messing up with your parents? You know, I do too. How, how can I talk to you about that? How can I, how can I, you know, how can I pray for you? And just get into their lives. That's all you got to do. Isn't it so simple it's ridiculous? Here's my belief. The Lord has put this on my heart for about a year now. I've been praying about it consistently. I've been doing it myself, and I have found out that people love it when you spend time with them. I knew that before, but it's so obvious when I actually put it on my calendar and make sure that I do it every... Now, you might have to miss a week or two because of different things, but it's your job to make sure that that person knows you're there for them. And you just keep doing it over and over and over again. And it might come time at some point where the Lord puts somebody else on your heart. And you say, listen, uh, you and I have been meeting together. And has it been helpful? Has, has it been? Well, I, I got to tell you, it's because you're, you're important to me. And that's why we're doing it. Now, I got to ask you this question. Who's important to you? Maybe you need to go call somebody and spend time with them. And all of a sudden, this maybe, just maybe, this wave of who's your one is going to kind of spread over things. And this is what I found in my personal life. I am most miserable when I'm looking at myself the most. But I'm happiest when I'm there for other people more. 
And this is a way to help you do that. I think you're going to be a happier person when you do it. Now, the only thing that's going to keep you from doing that is that you're going to go and you're going to say, I don't have time for this. It's the only reason you would not do it. Welcome to the club. Nobody has time for this. But that's the lie of Satan. Because if you have time for all these other things, but you don't have time for this, it's not a matter of you don't have time for it. It's a matter of priority. And Jesus says, what should be our main priority? People or things? Yep. People. It's all about people. You don't take things to heaven with you. You do take people. Wouldn't it be great if you spent time with somebody and do who's your one for a couple of months, and then they said, you know, you got something I don't have. Can you tell me how to become a Christian? And you might even go, nope, I don't even know how to do that. But I'll take you to Craig. He knows how to do it. He'll know how to do it. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you got doorways that open because people just love to be loved. Diane. Yeah, that would work every couple of weeks. But you've got to make it a priority and make sure that it happens. That's, that's the big challenge. That's where Satan's going to win the battle if you're in on this. Yeah, good way to put it. Regularity, not frequency as the big, big key. Any questions on that? I know it's, it's really so simple, I'm embarrassed to even tell you about it, to be honest with you. It's like, you got a good way to do, uh, to, to spread the love of Jesus? Yeah, yeah, but it's really so simple. I'm, I'm almost embarrassed. It's really so simple. I think, it, I think it's going to be good. So if you're up for who's your one, your first step is go home, pray about it. Pray who does, who's the Lord putting on your heart because you got a circle and God deposits people in your circle for a reason. They're not just there by mistake. They're there for a reason. And one of those people is right now on your mind because that person might be who's your one. They might be your one. All right?